You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of the Marvels. Carol Danvers, prodigal child of the Milky Way. Nick Fury. My favorite one-eyed man of intrigue. How goes it out there? Uh, you know, cold, no air, space. Captain Marvel. The Annihilator. You took everything from me. And now I'm returning the favor. Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Marvels, and the story is as follows. Carol Danvers, aka Captain Marvel, has reclaimed her identity from the tyrannical Kree and taken revenge on the Supreme Intelligence. However, unintended consequences see her shouldering the burden of a destabilized universe. When her duties send her to an anonymous wormhole linked to a Kree revolutionary, her powers become entangled with two other superheroes to form... The Marvels. The film is starring Brie Larson, Tiona Paris, Iman Vellani, Zawe Ashton, Park Seo Joon, and Samuel L. Jackson. It is written and directed by Nia DaCosta, and it is co-written by Megan McDonald and Elisa Karasek. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Lauren LaMagna. Hello. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. So I'm sure you all saw that Variety cover story recently on the state of the MCU. And as we come to the end of 2023, this is the last theatrical release that Marvel has this year. It has been a very difficult time for Kevin Feige and friends, I think. Outside of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and a few bright spots on the Disney Plus shows, There has been an inconsistency with the output and quality of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that it's very interesting to me to see how this used to be a sure thing as far as they were very much uh, critic-proof for a while. They were guaranteed box office hits. And granted, they still make a lot of money. They still drum up a lot of interest. But I definitely feel over the last year and a half, two years or so, that the public perception has started to change drastically. And unfortunately, the Marvels, I think, has endured a large amount of the brunt of that based on the things that I just mentioned, but also based on, you know, and I hate to say it, but we have to acknowledge that it exists out there, inherent misogyny that has carried over uh, throughout the MCU ever since Brie Larson outspokenly and rightfully claimed that uh, more Critics of color and women should be reviewing films uh, such as this that are led by people of color, women, and not so much uh, straight white men uh, critics. That started its own shitstorm out there. I remember when Captain Marvel released, that was like at the forefront of everybody's minds. And moving forward from that, since then, Brie Larson has become in some people's minds, a controversial figure. I don't see what's controversial about her. She's calling things like it is. And I think we need to have these discussions out there at the end of the day. But you do see a large portion of the Marvel fan base not excited for this movie, not coming out in droves for it. And that's, I think, very disheartening because Nia DaCosta is an extremely talented filmmaker. She previously uh, did the films Little Woods and Candyman, which, you know, a little bit of a divisive reaction in some cases. But I still think she's a very exciting filmmaker. And you've got this uh, team-up movie here with these three characters 
Some of it is predicated on understanding the Disney Plus shows, uh, Miss Marvel and WandaVision heading in. So this is also, for many people, I think the first Marvel film. And you can argue some of the previous ones, like Ant-Man, Quantumania, early this year. But I really do believe that this is the first real Marvel film where if you have not watched the Disney Plus shows, there's a good chance that you're going to be lost watching this film. So with all that said, all that set up... I'm curious to know where everybody falls on this. Lauren, it's your review on the website, taking in everything that I just said and seeing the movie this past week. What did you think of the Marvels? I really didn't know what I was getting myself into with the Marvels. I've seen WandaVision. I haven't seen Miss Marvel. I also haven't seen um, Secret Invasion. I don't know if that's relevant to this film. I think it is. I, I can't confirm nor deny. So I was kind of nervous over what um i was going to expect from this but maybe it was because of those low expectations i honestly had a pretty fun time i think i can objectively say like i know that the um story itself is very weak it was definitely difficult for me to follow which i think is due to me not watching those shows and for this movie to have prerequisites that aren't the Marvel films and it's not a general story that general audience members could follow. But I really do think that um main trio is really captivating and it has really good chemistry specifically um with Miss Marvel. Um I thought she was a standout. I thought she was hysterical and she was the best part of the movie for me. So every time there was screen presence between those three women, I was having a fun time. So I think that makes up for the significant errors in the film. But even with those errors, because of the chemistry of the trio and just watching the action sequences between the switching that I thought was really compelling, I would honestly recommend it for a fun, turn-off-your-brain type of entertainment. Okay. Josh Parm, I know you have been obviously very critical of the direction of the MCU in recent years. We've talked about this on previous reviews. How did you feel about the Marvels? Yeah, I I am definitely somebody that has always looked at the MCU as like something that has just never been for me. Like I get why people like it and why they enjoy it, and I think that's great if you do, but the franchise, with very few exceptions, has never really moved me all that much. I haven't really hated it, really, but... I've just never been a big fan of it personally. So going into the Marvels, I would also say my expectations were pretty low for it. And, you know, walking out, I would say that my opinion of the movie is about where it's always been with this franchise, which is it's fine. Like it has some very charming moments. I think it does even entertain me in some respects. But ultimately, my problem is just that these are still characters that – while you can get somewhat invested in them, I just don't feel a great uh, connection with them. And I do think that because this one very much does rely on some outsider knowledge, I don't think too much. I think you can sort of still get through the movie without having knowledge of what happens on the TV shows because I certainly didn't. And I I was fine with that, but you certainly can get the sense that that would help you. But still, I would say overall, like it, it's just a – just a decent endeavor. Like I was mildly entertained by it for sure. Like I wasn't really bored. The movie does move along. It's under two hours, fortunately. So it, it 
it moves, it does what it needs to, but ultimately for me, it just never really elevated beyond anything more than just, yeah, that that was okay. I agree with Lauren that I think this trio is very fun. I did like all of those performances. I thought they were very endearing with each other, but it just sort of felt kind of slight to me, and I never really found myself compelled by really any of the action sequences or the story or the characters. Like, it was... It just sort of sat on the screen. It was like, that was a decent time, but as soon as it was done, it was already sort of leaving me. So not terrible, but ultimately just sort of okay, which is like my feeling about most of these movies. Yeah, no, it's completely understandable, and I get where you're coming from. Lauren, I also get where you're coming from too, especially if expectations were lower. Um, I went into this with pretty low expectations. I had seen it after the embargoes had all dropped uh, because I missed the uh, critics preview screening that we had uh, set up. So I just saw this movie yesterday. I saw it with a regular audience on a Friday night, and I got to admit, like, I was very hmm, taken aback by how unenthusiastic the audience was for this. I used to remember there was a time where Marvel movies would get some of the most rapturous applauses and insane receptions from its uh, fan base during the movie. And here it just really amounted to a few light chuckles and nobody clapped when the movie was over. There was like one gasp or two during the mid credit sequence. But overall, the audience I watched this with just did not seem to be into this. And I was trying to figure out also for myself why that was. And I can tell you all, um, I have familiarity with Miss Marvel. I didn't watch the whole thing. I only watched, I think, the first two episodes. I just didn't have time to finish the whole thing. But I, I liked what I saw so far. I remember I finished WandaVision, but that was back in 2021. And so my memory of that is a little hazy, to say the least. So in understanding where Monica Rambeau is at this point and uh, Kamala Khan and how she fits into all of this, to Josh's point, like, I got it. Like, I understood and I was able to follow the movie. But I think where this movie really gets bogged down more so than anything is when they start talking about ripping a hole in space and throwing off the time continuum and, like, all this stuff about... I don't even know. I like <laughs> there comes a certain point where it's like, okay, it's another Marvel movie with sky beams and, you know, breaking the fabric of space and time and we need to close this portal. And it's like, I feel like I've seen this now a bunch of times, not to mention to um, the villain of this movie, uh, Zawe Ashton, who plays uh, Dar Ben. I, I just didn't find her to be that captivating of a villain. It, and so it kind of re just reminded me a lot of um, Thor of the Dark World in a lot of ways where there, there are like the elements of what the MCU has become known for seen throughout this movie. All of the pieces are there, but it's never rising to a level that's helping it to stand out and be completely memorable to your point josh like i do feel like i'm going to forget about this movie fairly quickly after we finish this review today and um i will echo what was said earlier about the three leads i i think they are the best parts of the movie their chemistry together is a lot of fun i very much enjoyed um seeing the three of them bounce off each other there's like one montage in particular where they're um working out their swapping uh, problem together that I found to be uh, very amusing. 
I still don't understand the swapping, to be honest with you. Like, that's the thing is like there's certain concepts that are introduced in this movie that I haven't been able to fully wrap my mind around and completely understand. And I don't know if that's because my lack of knowledge from the uh, Disney Plus shows or if there's just something else I haven't picked up on along the way. But I also think, too, there's a degree of apathy that has settled in for me now with this franchise at this point where I just don't care. I don't care to do the research. I don't care to follow up. And I don't care enough anymore about these characters to want to invest myself more in this world. And I think that is a failure on Feige and the rest of the uh, franchise with oversaturating the market with these movies because I think it's just at a certain point given us way too much to do. And it's kind of like the equivalent of when you log on to Netflix and you see all these options. And what do you end up doing? You end up endlessly scrolling forever, debating what you're going to watch. And an hour might pass by and you still haven't figured out what you actually want to watch. <laughs> you know, I feel like the MCU has become that where there's so much now to absorb and consume that certain people, myself included, have kind of thrown their hands up in the air and have said, you know what? Like, I just I, I can't get invested to this level anymore i only have so much time like i still have not watched loki season two as of this recording you know i want to but i just haven't had the time so i think all of this has kind of culminated with this movie and i admire you know what nia DaCosta was attempting to do here I, I think everybody's hearts are in the right place but i do think at a certain point here this movie is extremely formulaic it's not breaking the mold or giving us anything new that we haven't already seen before. It feels very paint by the numbers. But my last opening thought here, thank God this movie is 105 minutes long. It was probably the fastest Marvel movie I've seen in... Is this even the shortest? It might be the shortest. Because <laughs> I, I just couldn't believe how fast it whizzed on by. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And action. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Yeah, I was very appreciative of that. Even though I think there are a couple occasions where it probably goes by a little too quickly, where it does seem like we maybe exit some scenes with... Um, like with a fast pace that maybe we could have lingered just a little bit longer. But overall, yes, I agree that it being under two hours was was a blessing. And, you know, I also think that while I do admit that you can understand what's going on in this movie without having watched all of like the TV shows, because I haven't watched a single one of those shows, not a single one. So and, and I was able to follow the story enough. But I think where my deficiency with that is, is that when it comes to these characters, yes, I can get like the basic necessities of what they're doing in the story and what their motivations are. And I think that the actors are doing a fine job with them. What I think I am missing ultimately, though, is the fuller context of them, because these characters are being introduced in this movie 
Like it's not an introduction because obviously they have appeared in other media before and that's where you have really gotten to know them so that by the time they're in this movie, they do feel very established in whatever world this is being created. And for me, I don't have that connection. I'm being introduced to these characters for the very first time and they're – like casualness within this narrative works for the people that already have seen those shows. But for me as an outsider, I do admit I was a little at arm's length with how much I can get invested because I don't, I was never introduced to that fuller context. I've only seen the movies and this is the first time I'm seeing these particular characters. I also think too, the character of Carol Danvers just does not have an interesting plot or character arc in this film. Brie Larson in the first movie, I thought, did a great job introducing us to that character. It's unfortunate that her appearances in other movies since then have been so brief because I think it was very apparent early on that Marvel really wanted her to be um, a a very central piece of the MCU moving forward. Uh, But from what I've heard, and I could be wrong about this, I I feel like Larson doesn't want to necessarily continue playing this character so much uh, longer anymore, and I think that's because she might be dissatisfied with the direction that her character has taken, and maybe it hasn't fulfilled the promise of what was um, presented to her early on. And I think this movie is evidence of that because I just don't feel like she has much to do in this movie. Whereas I- I- Iman Vellani is literally taking, I, I think chicken shit and turning it into chicken salad uh, throughout this movie. (laughs) She is just turning everything into pure gold that she's given and and having a great time doing it. And Tiona Paris, they they try to give her a storyline revolving around um, her her mother, uh, played by... um, Help me out here. Uh, Who's that actress? Lashana Lynch. Lashana Lynch. Yep, thank you. Lashana Lynch. And... That is an example to what you're saying, Josh, I think, where this feels incredibly rushed, even forced at times. And I do think that the pacing works against the character arcs in this movie, uh, which I do think kills audience investment. I'll be honest with you all. When they got to like these fight scenes and I know a lot of people praise the fight scenes. Lauren, you praised the, the choreography in your review, and I was looking forward to that. I liked it. I thought it was well done, but I wasn't emotionally invested. And I wish that the movie had just spent a little bit more time on those relationships and kind of slowed down a bit more to get me a little bit more invested in these characters. And maybe, Josh, what you're saying is true. And Lauren, you can probably back this up because I do believe you have seen the shows. I imagine if we had seen the shows, we would be even more invested in Kamala Khan and Monica Rambeau. See, like, that's what's kind of interesting because I did not see Miss Marvel. So this was my first introduction to the character. Yeah, this is my first introduction to her. And I immediately took a liking to her. She was the, like, immediately she's this, I get that she's this super fan. She's kind of obsessed with um, Captain Marvel in particular. I really liked her family dynamic. And she's just you know, kind of the female version of our first iteration of Peter Parker, who's just yeah. really obsessed about the Avengers and is just really excited. I bet I'm missing more details about her as like how she got the bracelet and how she got her powers and all that stuff. I was going to say, I don't know how her powers work. She manipulates light. I was going to say that's a lie. I know how her powers work. Monica Rambeau is the one whose powers I'm like, what are the limits exactly? <laughs> you know? 
And what triggers yeah. the switching too? That was something that I didn't really comprehend. Like, Me too. It seemed like from what it, I've what, heard, seen, it's like if one starts using their powers, then they'll switch. But there were times where they were using their powers and they weren't switching. So is it like a particular power? Yeah, that's what I was very confused about. I mean, I, I was able to, like, kind of go with the flow, essentially. Like, I got the broad strokes of it, but, like, the specifics, I do admit, I was like, wait a minute, why Why is it that Captain Marvel is, like, seemingly using her powers and nothing's happening, but then she does this one thing, but and then they switch? I was a little bit confused about that. Yeah, and uh, Kamala Khan, I, I think from what I understand, she can take light and turn it into, like, physical matter. Am I, am I understanding this correctly? Yeah, which was a nice effect. Yeah, no, totally. I, I really much enjoyed that. And I thought that it was uh, used in creative ways here. But there were times where she was doing it. And I was like, why is she not switching? Is that not part of the switching? I don't know, Lauren, do you have like a explanation for this that can help us or I mean, in the movie, I mean, in the movie, they said when they use their powers at the same time, that's when they switch. So it has to be at the same time. Yeah. So it's kind of like since they all of their powers involve light. This is what I've only seen the movie once. This is what I've got from the exposition. If, since all of their powers involve light and the manipulation of it, that's why their powers are getting entangled. So mm -hmm. if they're using their powers at the same time, they would switch places. Okay. Got it. Yeah, like, and I want to be very clear. I love Iman Vellani in this movie. I best think that she is the best, best part, part of the movie. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We're all in agreement here. That's That's fantastic. And... I'm very saddened to see some of the reactions that she's been getting from a very toxic level of the fan base. Um, and I and I imagine that this was also true when the show came out as well. Um, it seems to be, I think, multiplied here considerably at this point. Um, she's great. And I see no fault in anything that she's doing in this movie as far as what her performance is asking her. Uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What the role is asking for her performance and. She's literally, like you said, Lauren, doing exactly what Peter Parker did with Tony Stark. So if you didn't have a problem then, but you have a problem now, I think you need to analyze that and do some self-reflecting and understand why that is. Uh, because I can tell you what it is, but it might be more powerful if you discover that for yourself. <laughs> uh, with that said, here's another thing I have a problem with in this movie. Zawe Ashton as Darben. This movie is a very silly movie. This is a very lighthearted, at times, very amusingly funny film. I personally feel that the villain of this movie needed to match that energy. And the fact that she didn't and she was played so seriously throughout created a tonal inconsistency in this movie for me. I don't mean that she had to turn into a joke character necessarily, but there was a point where you know, they're explaining what her motivation is and the backstory and so on and so forth. And it just seemed to clash overall with the rest of what this movie was, in my opinion, doing far more exceedingly well and helping it to stand out a bit more like the uh, like the scene where they go to the musical planet where everybody's like doing sing song to communicate or the cat's memory moment in this film. In my opinion, if the whole movie were like those two sequences where it was just ridiculous, absurd, I would have been more all in with this movie. Instead, we get generic MCU villain crap that we've seen dozen times before. Yeah, I think that's the major problem with that character is that it's just very bland and generic. And 
I think that Ashton does a decent job with her performance. There were actually times where it like, yes, it could have been maybe a, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more over the top to kind of match the tone. I grant you, but there was something in her performance. That I did like in terms of it kind of seeming like almost like the self seriousness was the point and, you know, kind of getting close to, Maybe, you know, not quite Saturday morning cartoonish, like obviously it's not a cartoonish character, but there was something about her overall screen presence that I did find to be rather compelling. And I thought that she did a decent job with her performance. The the problem is that the character itself was just not interesting to me. And it, you know, it was tying back to a, a conflict that I only had vague memories of from that first Captain Marvel movie to begin with. And I'm sure it got more complicated in the shows, which I don't have the knowledge of. Uh, regardless so the character once again was just not very interesting and that was the big impediment i think her performance was fine but the character was just nothing on the page for me yeah her performance is fine i i I agree with that part of it and i just i i just think that there needed to be consistency and another thing too that's kind of missing here is that if you are going to have her play this more serious I do feel like in other MCU movies with uh, Peter Quayle from the Guardians movies or Tony Stark or uh, Peter Parker, you have then the good uh, villain. I'm sorry, the good guy who then is able to take like a quippy liner to make fun of the villain's seriousness and make jokes about them. And that provides the audience with some level of humor and the contrast between then those two characters None of that that's happening That's not Carol. Here. No, yeah, that's right. not her. She's not a quippy one-liner MCU-type character. And I, I think there was an opportunity maybe to do that with Kamala Khan a little bit, but they don't seem to do that either so much. I also think this section of the story is the one that requires the most knowledge from previous entities of the MCU. Mm-hmm. Like the whole Kree. Uh... Yeah, I totally forgot about the Kree. It's like it took me a couple minutes to realize that, oh, she is one. Um, the relationship with the scrolls. I don't know where we're at with that. I thought Nick Fury was a scroll. I guess he's not. So it's just like in the whole sword situation. So I don't really know what's going on with um, those people and those conflicts outside of this film. And, it, and a little bit of, you know, Cap of Captain Marvel, but that was years ago. I don't really remember that much of that film. I wasn't super duper positive on it. So that was why I think that section is the weakest and why I really was only interested in the trio is because I was more invested in that. And I don't really remember what they're fighting for because I just don't remember what was going on. And I am missing some plot points from them. Did you guys like the, I I hope I'm saying this correctly, the Alada sequence? With the, uh, they say it's a water planet, but the musical, yeah, yeah, the one patch of land, and everybody's <laughs> the movie becomes a freaking musical. <laughs> yeah, it, it's the musical planet. Like, yeah, they call it the water planet, but it's the musical. It's planet. the singing planet. <laughs> yeah, when that guy was like doing an introduction for them, and he's belting out the pipes, I was like, can the whole movie please be like this? I was loving that. Seriously, it was. It was come It's so ridiculous. It's such a ridiculous movie. It's the. It's Kamala and Monica reacting to it was that's the best part of it it's like monica being like what are we doing (laughs) and then captain marvel's just just saying just go with it and then all of a sudden she's singing and then the her husband because i guess she's married is 
um, speaking, and then their reaction is that, oh, he's bilingual. And then we're just like, oh. I, I hated that they made him speak English. I was like, oh, no. well, I mean, they all speak English, but like, I really wanted everyone to truly just commit to the singing so badly. <laughs> I don't know. I think that that bit was very funny, but I can imagine how it would quickly get grading. So I think they they knew to end it correctly on the right point. <laughs> but also, too, like when the um, army of that planet fights with um, Darben's like men and things like that, I was like, oh, it's just generic, like one on one swordplay fighting. And I was like hoping I was hoping that the fight would also like turn into some form of a musical number fight of some sort. Like I was, I was hoping for some level of creativity from that. Did they do uh, like a kick line? Yeah, something exactly. <laughs> there was like a real opportunity to have, I think, more fun with that whole section of the movie, and maybe it was cut for time. I know that there were a lot of reshoots on this movie. I understand that there were a lot of production delays. Uh, who knows? Who knows what untapped potential there might have been here? Um, but I also mentioned, too, the other sequence that I really, really enjoyed was um, the goose egg uh, uh, sequence, I guess I guess I could call it, with all the cats uh, eating everybody to... St- I don't understand the physics of any of this, but apparently they eat them, store them, and they can just spit them all back out. <laughs> Which I was a bit confused of at first, because I thought in Captain Marvel that... Uh, Goose just ate them. That's what I thought too. Yeah, that's what it was. And it was funny because when we get that first moment when it eats like two of the the bad guys and then they're back on Earth and it spits them back out, I did think like, well, that was that was odd. I thought it would have just eaten them. I mean, I guess they wanted to get an action scene, but that that seems strange. And then the rest of the movie comes. It's like, oh, so that's the reason why it doesn't eat them because this is necessary for the finale to the movie. Yep, yep. I I, <laughs> I started getting uh. <laughs> jean jacket vibes like in my head <laughs> as far as those people like being trapped inside yeah these cats <laughs> but it was funny yeah so especially with was a memory playing over it yeah that <laughs> it was an amusing sequence. i'm sure that amused lauren that that had to have gotten to you i think this is such a ridiculous movie yes it is and i think it's at its best when it's leaning into that i wish the whole movie had committed to that tone throughout exactly I mean, it's part of the reason why Thor Ragnarok was such a jolt to that character and to the MCU as a whole for a lot of people when it first came out, because it was consistently silly throughout. Yeah, I think people had a stronger connection, though, to those characters or at least to to Thor's character. And it was like a complete reinvention too. like that movie did the work to shift the tone of the Thor movies and that character in the world that he was in. And this is an example where there's nothing really to shift because people, I, you know, I think that the first Captain Marvel movie was actually decent. I, I would say that, but as Lauren said, it came out so long ago and I feel like people's relationship to that character is just not as strong um, as it is for others. And this world that we're being introduced to and these characters, there's just not the same foundation to, to build from. Mm. And so like, yeah, in the moment it's like kind of fine, but I do think the connection to the characters is what really holds me back. And I, granted, that's a me problem because I haven't watched any of the television shows, but at the same time, I should be watching a movie and connecting with the movie's story, and I shouldn't have to do the extra work to be invested in that. What did you guys think of Samuel L. Jackson here? Fine, good. Like He did what he needed to yeah. do. 
he had a couple of one-liners that made me chuckle a little bit. Like, I love the bit where um, Kamala's family is like, you, you guys have been surveilling us? And he just goes, surveillance is a strong word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, maybe this might be a sort of why there's such a disconnect, because I think I would describe this movie as silly, as ridiculous. Um but our central character is a very serious character. She doesn't change, which is yeah. different from the um, like Thor Ragnarok, where Thor does have this significant tonal shift as well. When you're shifting this type of movie and we're not changing Carol, which she is a very authoritative, very serious character. So I understand why they wouldn't change her because she never was like this. So she'll never probably be silly or goofy or relaxed that kind of causes a little bit of a disconnect because everything around her is very lighthearted and silly and ridiculous and really leaning into that. But the central character herself is still very stoic and serious and wants to just get the job done and needs as little emotion as possible. That's true to the character, but that just doesn't match the tonal um, theme of the movie. I also think too, like Superman, you always run into this problem where you have a character who is presented as being the strongest being in the galaxy. And that's what Carol Danvers has been presented to us as. So it's hard for us to ever feel like there's ever any real danger for her. Also, I, 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 I still haven't like ever gotten over this. I haven't gotten over the fact that she's been around all this time while all this other bad shit is happening, but because she can't be in multiple places at once, she just conveniently shows up when the MCU needs her. And I don't know. I just kept wondering to myself, like, while watching this movie, you know, why is this threat more serious than something else that she could have, like, helped out with in another movie? And I just kind of, like, hate that inconsistency in the storytelling overall for how her character is presented. And... Once again, what are like her limitations? What does she struggle with? What are um, the limits of her powers? And this movie does a good job by presenting the um, swapping as a as a problem that they all need to overcome. But then they seem to overcome it with relative ease. And then there was also inconsistencies with that as well. So, yeah, I agree. I, I think Brie Larson, she unfortunately just has nothing to really work with here on a character level that's really interesting, especially compared to the first Captain Marvel, where at least it was an origin story. And she had these one-on-one scenes with great actors like Jude Law. And my God, I completely forgot Annette Benning was in the first Captain Marvel. So when I saw her here, I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. I was like, you were in that? <laughs> And I wouldn't say like that first Captain Marvel movie is amazing either, but no, I do think yeah, it being an origin story does allow you to at least ease into the story a little bit um, with a little bit more ease, uh, you know, with a little bit more familiarity with that foundation. And I didn't even thought that Brie Larson was was very charming in that first movie too, even though she kind of had a pretty basic outlined uh, to work with, but I don't think they really build upon it very well here. I think it's still pretty standard superhero fare in terms of what she's going through. And, and even the things that want to be a little bit more complex, like her whole relationship with the Kree and why they hate her. And I just sort of felt like it, either this is more information that I need, need a context with, or they just didn't do a great job setting it up. So like, I don't know what the whole AI thing with the war like, like maybe that was explained on the show i don't know regardless they didn't 
go into it in depth in the movie so that the whole conflict itself with her and this group of people and the villain felt very tenuous to me. And I didn't really know what was happening. Maybe this movie was written by AI. You never know. Her relationship with Monica is, I think, meant to be the arc of this movie for her character that we're supposed to latch on to on an emotional level. But I felt that all the scenes that they had together were just very quickly done and didn't allow the audience a moment to linger on those emotions of those characters. Um, There's a scene in particular where they are... I don't even know what they're doing. They're accessing the cream memories through this, like, headset, right? Am I getting this right? What's their own memories, right? Their own they, memories. Because they saw, like, a map of something, yeah. and they need to think back to, like, where they need to go. And like, I, yeah. Kamala saw it, but she doesn't know how to read it, and Carol would know. Yeah, and in this sequence, Carol just decides, hey, you know what? I'm going to change the channel here, <laughs> and I'm going to go over to Lashana Lynch and... There is like this drama that ensues then of Monica not wanting to relive those painful memories of her mother having cancer, but Carol wants to know what happened to her, and it just goes by way too fast. Yeah, I mean, as I said, like, while on the one hand, the the length of the movie is a blessing, that is, is under two hours, I do think there are some occasions where we actually could use some some slowing down we could actually be uh, benefited by the movie taking its time to revel in some of these emotions and the characters a little bit more. And I think it sacrifices that just to keep things moving, which I, I get and it gets you in and out very quickly and you do have a decent time with it. But in terms of the, the stronger emotional connections that you can make, I think the movie does sacrifice that. Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. All right. Um, What I want to do now is I want to move over to final thoughts here regarding the Marvels. I wish there was more to speak about. I'm kind of amazed that we're like less than 40 minutes into this review, but I just don't. I mean, it's a short movie, first of all, but also too, just thematically, I just don't think that there's much here, unfortunately. Um, Lauren, we can start off with you. Maybe there is more. Um, Any final thoughts here on the Marvels? Um, We haven't really talked that much about the fight choreography. I know you guys weren't hugely popular on it, but... No, no, no. I I thought it was good. I really enjoyed the first sequence where they're kind of in between Kamala's home, the space station, and wherever. So when they were constantly switching and not knowing what's going on and Kamala's being introduced to, you know, Nick Fury and his team, I thought that was a really fun sequence with not only the fight and the characters, but um, the camera work as well and the choreography. So that was a really exciting um, sequence for me. And that really made me love um, the character of Kamala and also her family. I really loved that dynamic. 
Yeah, I I do think that particular fight sequence was my favorite in the film because it was the one that felt like it had the most creativity put into it with the whole switching. And yeah, you also do get like character bits in there as well. So it, it has a lot going on. And like, yeah, it's not the most flashy that you could do, but I, I did like the overall execution with it. And I think the whole, um, the switching is really utilized there that they don't really do that much toward, you know, in the rest of the movie, I felt like, you know, they, they presented for sure, but in terms of like the challenges or the benefits, it was sort of just kind of on the surface to me in, in the other sequences. And this was the one where it felt like it was an emphasis and you could really see them doing something interesting with it. Whereas later on, it just felt like, you know, sort of basic moves that they were doing. I mean, basic moves, sure, but I'll give credit where credit's due here with the fight choreography. At least it was shot in wides. And it wasn't up close with a million cuts. Um, I think for the house sequence in particular uh, at, at Kamala's home, that it makes sense for that to be a little bit more choppy and shot a little bit more up close to kind of like show the chaos of everything like being destroyed in the home. But later on when they're like fighting um, uh, Darben and, uh, you know, you see the wide shots of all three of them trying to attack, attack her simultaneously and the switching and all of that. Like, I think I thought all of that was really well done just because they chose to shoot it in wides. Had they chosen to go up close and do handheld or things like that, like, you know, the Russo brothers style of doing things, I don't think it would have worked. Yeah, the actual filming, I will. Yeah, I'll say that they did a decent job with that, too. Yeah. Anything else, Lauren? Um, no, that was my main one. So I'm glad we're all in consensus about that. Also, too, shout out to uh, the Khan family. <laughs> I love uh, Kamala's mother, father, and older brother in this. They're great. Yeah, I mean, I would say it did feel a little standard Marvel comedic relief to me. So I wasn't like over the moon with them. But, you know, they, they had some funny moments for sure. No, they're they're, they're just charming charming average everyday people they got some of the best laughs uh, from my audience when i saw the movie i think because there is just that relatability factor involved uh concerned parents over their child getting involved in these end of the world scenarios uh but yeah lots i thought they were a lot of fun i would like to see more of them they were really fun i loved them if anything what this film does and made me really interested in their show yeah, I actually uh, want to now go back and I'll probably rewatch the first two episodes, but I want to like watch uh, Miss Marvel all the way through now, um, especially because Iman Vellani is just such a I, I just think she's such a wholesome presence. And I, I thought like her comedic timing was so on point throughout. Um, I really think this character endeared herself extremely well and screw anybody who thinks otherwise, because I don't know what else she could have done in this performance uh, to make this character more likable. <laughs> All right, uh, Josh, on to you. Final thoughts. Yeah, uh, just a couple things. One, I had a very funny realization as I was watching this movie, and this is like just a, a small thing, that when the villain's plan was revealed about like stealing all these resources and then one was about siphoning off the atmosphere to uh, from one planet to hers, <laughs> what I thought was, oh, so this is the plot of Spaceballs. No. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yes. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. It's like to be reminded like, oh, that that's the villain's plot for Spaceballs. That's what we're doing right now. So <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is. Maybe 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 it is a deliberate homage considering how silly the film is, you know? 
Maybe, maybe so. Um, and then the other thing that I do think we have to mention, even though it is a massive spoiler, is this uh, mid credit scene. Mm, yeah. I do think we have to talk about this. Yeah, yeah, let's do that really quick. Let's Okay. Let's open up the floodgates. Uh, so for those of you that have not watched the Marvels, turn it off. I mean, we've done our best to avoid spoilers throughout here, uh, but at the same time, yeah, let's talk about it. Josh, what did you think? Uh, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll tell you the specific reason why I hate it. I, I get that, yes, so obviously we're waiting for the X-Men to show up. I get it. I don't really care, but I understand we need to, to set this up. And and that's, that's fine. What I have a problem with is that they brought Kelsey Grammer back. Like, why on earth would you reference one of the X-Men movies that nobody likes? Like, nobody likes that movie that he is in. And to me, it is just yet another example of this franchise. And one of the reasons why I don't like it so much being so slavishly devoted to continuity that even when we are now given the opportunity to do whatever you want with these characters in a completely different context, we are still referencing things that we have seen before. Like Marvel is so afraid to try anything different that even when they get these characters that everybody really likes and they can do whatever they want with, we have to reference a movie that people don't like just because they've seen it before. And I just felt like, man, even if I was more invested in these stories, that would feel completely deflating to me that I can't ever get new versions of these characters because that's just not what Marvel wants to do. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I was excited at first, and then when I realized that it was Kelsey Grammer, I, too, kind of deflated a little bit, and I don't know. I don't know. I like I don't know where we're going and I don't I know why we're doing it. Yeah. That um I was always confused about the whole we're adapting Captain Marvel as like specifically Carol Danvers because there's a the only reason I know of her is because there is a particular there is a very famous story that involves her that is an X-Men story. So when they started to say we're going to bring her in, she's going to be the leader of the Avengers. I never understood why we were doing that because her story is so entwined with the X-Men in particular. So it never made sense to me because we were never going to get that specific story because their merger wasn't a thing yet. So now that they are here, I'm a tiny bit optimistic that we're going to get that story, which is a big X-Men story, which is something that hasn't been adapted yet. So that might be something new that could happen. But I also, that got the biggest reaction from my screening. And I just, I can't help, like, you know that theme where, like, they bring him back and then they pull me back in? That's kind of what I feel right now is I really do love the X-Men. And I love that particular story. So I'm interested to see if we're going to explore that. Yeah, but at the same time, I would have been more excited if they would have just cast a new actor. That this thing I just don't understand. Like, and and it's an X Men movie that everybody hates. Nobody likes that X Men movie. Why? <laughs> why are we doing this? Why? Well, people do like Days of Future Past. So yeah, but didn't also he... Wanda like kill? Was it the real Professor X in multiverse? Like, this is where I'm getting confused now. Well, I think that was like an alternate dimension. Or is that a different? This is a I... different universe. I don't remember. Like, I did sort of like that Doctor Strange movie, but I don't remember the plot ramifications of that film at all. It's Marvel shit. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, there was even a moment where I was thinking with with Kamala Khan was like, wait, was this the character that was in the Doctor Strange thing? Because didn't she have like similar powers? Like I was even confusing them. So I, I am the wrong person to ask. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the realization that Lashana Lynch is alive as well. Or at least that she's coming back in some form. Yeah. Right, right. Uh Lauren, were we supposed to read into her outfit that she was wearing as something from the comics or? Um, I just think she is Miss Marvel. Oh. Hmm. In that universe. Kind of like how, yeah, in that universe, it's kind of like I'm watching a show right now that's really heavy on the multiverse and how like if then moments and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think instead of, you know how in the flashback it, she said it wasn't supposed to be you, it was supposed to be me. Mm hmm. So I think in this universe, that's what happened. Oh, I okay. could be wrong because like sure. she does, she wasn't wearing anything that looked like Storm. And if it is, you know, the original X-Men beast, like it would be Halle Berry. Like it wouldn't be a different Storm. I legitimately thought that that's where they were going with that for a brief moment. I was like, oh, are they announcing her as the new Storm? You know, yeah. but they didn't do that. So, so no, I just oh. think she is. Um, She's captain marvel like she has that power so she had the accident instead of carol so carol is irrelevant ish mm -hmm. yeah i was just i was just so i'm just so tired and i understand that you know like again you got to bring the x-men back like it's the whole reason why disney bought fox in the first place like i'm not naive to that i understand that these characters have to come into this franchise at some point i am just so annoyed that once again they go back to continuity and rely on it so much for people to the detriment of your story and you know kelsey Grammer. you know he's a decent actor but i don't think anybody was clamoring to see him back in this role and it just goes back to their feeling of if you have seen it once before that's what we're doing and we can't break from that at all we are so stuck in this lane and it just annoys me so much like you know say what you will about like DC and yeah, they're really, really spotty track record, but at least over there, they're not afraid to mix things up. And I like that they're willing to do three different kinds of Batmans and be like, it's fine. People can understand these are all separate from each other. We could do different things. And I really get frustrated that with Marvel, that they just seem to be so resistant to trying anything new that they are willing to go back to an X-Men movie that everybody hates just because you've seen it before. It, it's just profoundly annoying to me. Also, too, the fact that he is CGI and not practical like he was in The Last Stand, hated it. Yeah. I know it fits with the overall look of the MCU, like a CGI Hulk and things like that, but I, I really, I did not think it looked good. Yeah, but I knew Kelsey Grammer ain't, was no way getting back into that makeup for, for this anymore. <laughs> He doesn't even have to show up to set. They could have another actor playing him and he just does the voice, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from uh, any other final thoughts here? No, that was it. Okay. Well, speaking of uh, just showing up, uh, Tessa Thompson got paid. That's like yeah. why. <laughs> just like that is a very great example of, oh, we need to remind people that this is connected to other movies and we have a problem that we need to solve. Let's call in somebody to write ourselves out of a corner. That we've written in ourselves into, you know, and she she doesn't really add anything to the movie, like at all. She does absolutely nothing. No, yeah, the, the, and I love Tessa just... Thompson, but like she does, there's no reason for what happened. Yeah. Now, as you said, just to remove those characters from the plot, like 
that's that's it. Otherwise, she literally has nothing to do. Who do you guys think is going to join Kamala Khan and Kate Bishop in this new group? Um, I am not. I'm not the right person to ask for this. <laughs> if they can find Wanda's boys. Oh. And them. Do we think that Spider-Man would be involved too? Because he's still young. Like, isn't it supposed to be like a young, like a young, smaller Avengers group? It's children, yeah. So, like, um, the Young Avengers is what they're called. Oh, okay. I was hoping for a more fancy title than that. No, but. it's very, very. It's very. Um, so, like, it's very much. Um, it's also X Men based, but it's. Um, I would do the girl from. Um, Doctor Strange. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would do Wanda's twins. I would do um, Bishop. I would do Scott Lang's kid. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a solid group right now, but it, and then they're kind of going up against Yelena and the Thunderbolts, maybe. If there's a kid Loki, put him in. Um, stuff like that. Okay. And now if there's X Men, if they're young X Men. Like, is the kid from Logan still around? Oh, she was great. Yeah. Like, that's like a question. So I would, if she's still a thing, I would put her in. Like, there's, yeah, there's places. Okay. All right. Um, I really like that Kamala Khan called the, I don't even know what you call that mechanical device in this in this world, but I love that she called it, a, is that a clear iPad? <laughs> and then she just pointed out the ridiculousness of, if you're going to have top level secret information on this, why make it <laughs> so that you can see it on every side? I was like, oh, God, yeah, finally somebody gets it. Somebody calls out the absurdity of that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, again, she was the best part of the movie. Yep. I love her dad explaining to um, one of the employees on the ship the, the difference between <laughs> like talking about like Roth accounts and IRAs and <laughs> I was like, okay, this is this is great. This is like good humor here that I find to be, uh, you know, amusing at times. Um, there were little instances of that throughout, like I said, that come from her family that really put a smile on my face. Um, I really, really like them, and I would love to see more of them. So I'm definitely, I'm definitely gonna watch this show, uh, Miss Marvel, in full if I can get more of them from it. Oh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, his line delivery uh, when Kamala Khan is like falling to the earth and. <laughs> She's clearly going to die, but then she switches to uh, Captain Marvel and Samuel L. Jackson just goes, oh, it's cool. It's Carol. <laughs> it was great. I just got I thought that was really funny. I, I love Samuel L. Jackson's like just a lot of his line deliveries in this. Um, Strong Fury is the one I've seen getting tossed around now on the Internet as a meme a lot. Uh, but listen, I, I you know, even though he doesn't really do much for these movies, I'll never, ever turn down watching Samuel L. Jackson just like coming on the set, having a few Samuel L. Jackson line readings and having a good time. Uh, Other than that, I rated the original Captain Marvel a six out of ten. And I definitely think this is a step down from that. So, you know, because I really liked Kamala Khan quite a bit. And I do think that when this movie is working it is working well but it also is inconsistent throughout i'm gonna land at a five out of ten on this one and i think i'm being generous by giving that score too a little bit uh because there's certainly a lot of flaws here but then again it's like i also don't know how much of that is nia DaCosta's fault versus just inheriting a, a, a slew of problems that 
have gone on now from show to movie, from sh- from movie to show, and now on to here. So I don't lay it all at her feet at all. And, and nobody really should, I don't think. I think a lot of these directors now that Kevin Feige is bringing on for these movies are all being put in a bad place. Every single one of them. And I'll be very curious to see in the years to come who they get to direct more of these movies moving forward because the... You know, just the image of the MCU compared to what it once was has now just been tainted so much, I think, that it almost feels like a stain on your career to be associated now with one of these movies. So you see that they're what they're doing is they're developing a lot of their kind of like in-house directors uh, like John Watts, who uh, previously like didn't really, you know, do much before the Spider-Man movies, Peyton Reed with the Ant-Man movies. And uh, Matt Shackman, who came from television predominantly, uh, you know, did WandaVision, and now he's doing Fantastic Four. I think you're going to see a lot more of that moving forward, and I think you're going to see a lot less of, I don't know, Chloe Zhao or um, <laughs> Kenneth Branagh and things of that nature. But we'll see. We'll see how it develops from here. I, I mean, I think that Marvel definitely has a problem as the Variety uh, cover story, uh, you know, asked us uh, or or proclaimed to us, rather, recently. And I don't know what the solution is. I don't know what the way forward is. But I can see that with this and with other movies over the last, like I said, two years or so, they're in the middle of it right now. And maybe there is a way forward, but I don't know. We'll see. Lauren, what about you? What are you giving this grade out of 10? I understand that this is a incredibly imperfect movie, that it's a sloppy movie, and that it's honestly pretty um, dumb if you really think about it. But I can't lie and say that I didn't have fun with it. I think it does entertain me um, when I don't think too much about it. And I think that's the key with this type of film. It's silly. It's meant to be goofy. It's meant to entertain younger audiences. So if you go in with that mindset, I think you'll have a fairly decent time. So I'm going to stick with my um, number on the side. I'm going to give it a seven. It's good. It's fine. It's funny. Um, You will find enjoyment in it. It's not horrible. I think this is better than Captain Marvel personally, and I would rather watch this than the first film. So I would still recommend this to people, but I would just say don't think too much into it, which I don't think that's a knock towards the film. I just think this is the type of film that's supposed to be fun and you're supposed to just like let loose and not think that much about it, which can be fun there. I think that is true for some movies and this is just one of them. Yeah. Josh, what about you? I think I am going to be a five out of 10 for this. And it's, it really is a movie that I also did not really hate all that much. And I do think that kind of in the moment I was having a decent time with it, but I think also ultimately me not really being invested in these characters or this, this conflict just really put me at arm's length. And it is also a movie that when it was done, I was like, yeah, it was fine, but it very, very quickly was leaving my mind and did not leave an impact at, at all. And it just sort of was yet another kind of typical entry in the Marvel cinematic universe, which for me has always been a struggle. So yeah, like it, it's not a terrible movie and I can see people getting a lot of enjoyment out of them, out of the film. And I think there is a lot to enjoy, but ultimately it didn't have a lot of staying power for me either. So when it was done, I was like, it's okay. And I will quickly move on to something else. So that's sort of where I'm at at the moment. 
You know what's the uh, one good thing about the strikes? I just took a look at the release of uh, the rest of Phase 5. We only get one Marvel movie next year. Only one. And it's Deadpool 3. Oh, God. <laughs> Talk about building me up and bringing me back down. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. I'm a fan of the Deadpool movie, so I'm okay with that. Speaking but, of I'm, X-Men. Yeah, yeah. God. Yep. But then also, too, um, when we get to 2025, though, we have four movies set to come out. So, well, if it was not for this review, I wouldn't have watched this movie. So chances are not going to make most of them myself. No, no, maybe not. But I mean, my point is, hopefully, hopefully this year ish break will allow for them to hopefully be able to spend a little bit more time working on these stories a bit more course correct, hopefully. I don't know. I'm not optimistic about it anymore, to be honest with you all, but I think this can only be a good thing. Kind of like Star Wars, right? After Rise of Skywalker, we haven't had a Star Wars film since. It's been, in my opinion, good for the Star Wars franchise to not oversaturate. Yes, we've been getting all these Disney Plus shows, but people seem to be perfectly okay with that right now, you know? So, (sighs) Oscar potential? No. No, no. None. No, uh, there was nothing from a visual effects standpoint that stood out to me with this whatsoever. Yeah, even in this very kind of weird year for visual effects right now, where it doesn't seem like we have a solid front runner and it's pretty fluid, I still don't see this movie breaking through. I will say, though, that even though Marvel visuals tend to be extremely consistent from film to film, um, I went back and rewatched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and the visual effects in that movie are truly fantastic. And if there's any Marvel movie from this year that is going to make the shortlist and possibly be nominated in the final five, I think it definitely is going to be that one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that will be the one. I can't even imagine a world where Ant-Man and the Marvels makes the shortlist, if I'm being completely honest with you all. But maybe, to your point, Josh, maybe because it is an uncompetitive year, one of them might... Yeah, I could see maybe one of them getting onto the shortlist, but I don't see either making the final five. Okay, uh, nothing else to discuss there. So that'll do it here for our review of the Marvels here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Lauren LaMagna, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Josh Parham, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at J.R. Parham. And you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time.
Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon.